Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
church said, Amen. Praise the Father. Yes. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. My goodness. What a wonderful rallying cry for the believer. Be how we lay our head down every night and how we lift it up every morning. Just praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. Goodness gracious. Such another wonderful day to gather here together. Worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, wonderful Savior. We continue our journey towards Thanksgiving, which is, of course, this week. Uh, again, as Brother Chris mentioned, midweek will look a little different. There will be no Wednesday night service, but there will be a Tuesday night service. And so we will be Tuesday at 6 p.m., and that will be our special Thanksgiving service. We don't have service on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving week, uh, because quite honestly, we want to give people plenty of time to travel that need to travel for Thanksgiving. We want to give people time to prepare. And around my house, I want to give plenty of time for people to cook so that Thanksgiving Day goes off without a hitch. And so we will gather Tuesday. It will be, everyone will be gathered out front. It will be different. If you haven't been to a Thanksgiving service, it's different. If you've been to one, it's different every year. So we do something different every year, but it'll be Tuesday at 6 p.m., be about an hour long, so it won't take too awful long, uh, but it will be a different type of service than you've ever attended if you've never been to a Thanksgiving service here. And so I want to challenge you to be here for that. But this morning, uh, we stop and, and we give thanks. This whole month, we've been preaching on thankfulness and being thankful. This morning, we stop and give thanks for something. And we stop and give thanks for something that I believe, as a group of believers, as a church, we have failed to give thanksgiving enough for in our Christian faith. We fail to give enough thanksgiving for what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning, we don't look at the earthly benefits of our faith. This morning, I'm not going to tell you about how God won't put more on you than he can handle in this earth. This morning, I'm not going to talk to you uh, about what it means to have him with you in the persecution on this earth. This morning, I'm not going to talk about his earthly healing or his earthly blessings. This morning, I'm not going to talk about the joy of getting to come into this house and worship even. I'm not going to talk about any of those things this morning. And some of you might be saying, well, then what are we going to talk about this morning, Brother Jason? And I'm glad you asked because I'm going to let you know what we're going to talk about. This morning, we're going to look to something far greater than any of those things. We're going to look to something far greater than anything that we experience on this earth. This morning, we are going to look at the culmination of what Brother Paul said when he spoke these words. When he said, I am convinced... I am convinced, that word for convinced when he used it in the book of Romans, he says, I am wholeheartedly to the death without falter understanding this truth, that the problems of this life pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. Let me say that again. Paul said the problems of this life pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. And so this morning, we're going to take a glimpse into that glory that is to come. It's a subject we don't preach about enough in the church. We don't talk about it enough in the church. We don't look at it enough in the church. This morning we're looking at the new heaven 
and the new earth that is described in our text this morning. And we're going to look at this idea. We are thankful for a heavenly eternity. We're thankful for a heavenly eternity. I want to ask you if you're able. Stand in honor and reverence of the reading of the holy words of our holy God from the book of Revelation in chapter 21. We'll pick up in verse 1. And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Look forward with me to verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let us pray, Father God, how beautiful heaven must be. Oh God, as we gather before the King of kings, let us lift up your holy name through the reading and teaching of your word this day. Father, bind any devil, any demon. Father, any spirit, any distraction that may be present in this place now, would you remove it at this time? That for the next few moments, Father, we would praise you through your word and we would have your word written upon our lives, Father God, that we would be thankful for our heavenly eternity. And God, it's in your precious name that we pray, as all of God's people said. Amen. You can be seated. Believers should always be in a constant state of longing for heaven simply because that's where God is. You should think about that with me. We should be in a state of longing from heaven. Now, I'm not saying that we should wish our lives away or we should look at this earthly life and say, boy, I, I wish this was over so I could get on to heaven. But what I am saying is that for the believer, there should be this longing in your heart to be present with God, to finally be there with him. We should be in a constant state of desire to join him because we should recognize that, quite frankly, that is our eternal home, right? Heaven is the forever. This is the now. Right? Heaven is where we're going. This is what we're doing on our way. In fact, this is really just the place where we pass through to glorify God on our way to spend an eternity glorifying God in his presence. 
Too often we want to think of God and how it's applied to us in the here and now terminology. But this morning we look at this eternal focus. But the first thing that we look at is that there are people missing from heaven. There are people missing from heaven. Now, in this chapter in Revelation, for those of you who are not in our Wednesday night study to get the context, and for those of you who are, you're going to be very familiar with this. But we have just been through the chapters of Revelation that begin in about chapter 6 and run all the way through chapter 20, right? So 14 chapters. We've been studying them for about 14 years on Wednesday nights. And so we've been into it pretty deep. But let me tell you the, the summation kind of what we've looked at. We've seen the rapture of the church. We've seen seven years of tribulation. We've seen the end of that. We've seen the Antichrist and the false prophet tossed into the lake of fire just prior to the battle of Armageddon. We've seen a thousand year millennial reign of the saints with God. We have then seen the casting of Satan into the lake of fire to join the Antichrist and the false prophet. We've seen the tossing of death into that same lake of fire to join Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then we've stood before and seen the great white throne judgment where all of those whose names are not contained in the book of life will then be judged and they too shall be cast in to the lake of fire along with Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and death and sin thereto shall reside with it in the lake of fire. And then we've seen God speak these words to John that then I saw that the old heaven, the first heaven, the first earth are utterly destroyed. They are taken away. They are gone. Everything that had the mark of sin, everything that had the tainted stain of sin upon it, everything that had withered and faded, everything that was of the perishable seed of sin has now been taken away. And that brings us to where we are in verse 1 when he says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And that's where we're going to get there this morning but but when we look at the start of the chapter and we see that I want you to look with me down at verse 8 because before we get into what we see there I want to make sure we understand that there's things that aren't there there are people missing from heaven and so what do we see why do we look at this anyway well it should be a sober reminder to all the believers on earth that there will be people that are not in heaven let me say that again. We look at it because it should be a sober reminder to each and every believer on this earth that there will be people who are not in heaven. They will be in the lake of fire at the time that we're going to talk about this morning. And so who are they? Well, first, we see them described as the cowardly. This word literally means those who did not have the endurance. These are the ones where when the seed is sowed on the hard ground, it's popped up, but the sun comes out and destroys it because it has no roots. These are the people who perhaps had a religious moment. Maybe they went to church for a little while. <coughs> Maybe they went to a Bible study with you. Maybe they had a moment where they talked about God in some term, but they never, ever, ever had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They never surrendered to him as the Lord of their life. So they didn't have the roots that were associated with being a Christian. And so they did not have the endurance that when the sun came up, when the persecution came, when the tough times came, they didn't have the faith in Christ. They weren't committed to him as Lord of their lives. He goes on, he says, there's also the unbelieving that won't be there. Those who just out and out don't believe. And those are defined as those who are abominable. 
That word literally means vile and detesting. They're caught up in wickedness and evil. They turned from the Lord according to Romans chapter 1. And then John gives us even more descriptions to what these people look like. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. All liars. So we understand murderers. Obviously those are simple. That's those who take the lives of other humans. Sexually immoral are those who don't honor the sexual relationship in any way. To be described as what God has described it as. And that is to be enjoyed between one woman and one man inside of the covenant of marriage. And so anything outside of that biblical description is what God would call sexually immoral. And in our society today, we have managed to take this one and give it a broad stroke, haven't we? I mean, my goodness. There are so many things, so many deviations from that truth in our society today that we we would have to sit up here for hours to try and name them. Sorcerers, that comes from the Greek word for pharmacy. Speaking of the, the usage of drugs or influential things that would cause your mind to be clouded. Associated with demon worship and witchcraft in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy said for those who practice this sorcery or this pharmacia that they should be sentenced to death. Idolaters is lucked into though because those are anyone who make any other God before the one true and holy God. And that's not just statues. That's not just little things that you look at and call your idol. That's anything in your life that becomes your God instead of God that comes before him. That is you placing it before him. And then I love, I love and all liars. God puts them in there with the murderers and the sexually immoral, which should speak to us as a people about how we should be defined by honesty. We don't want to be lumped in with the sexually immoral and the murderers, right? And how many of us have justified before? Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, I didn't do this. I'm not doing this. But God says, did you lie? And I don't think there's anybody in here. If there's anybody in here who says they haven't lied, then you're lying now. Right? So he says, liars have their part in the lake of fire. And so the eternity is listed right here for all these as their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so I thought, why in the world, in this beautiful chapter about the new heaven and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, and the descriptions of heaven, and the presence of God, and all the things that we get to talk about for the rest of this sermon, why in the world, right here in verse 8, does God say, I want to remind my people about the people that aren't here? I want to remind them about the people, about the things that aren't here. And I thought, well, is God just showing us how beautiful heaven is that all of these things are missing? That that all of the people that do these things aren't there and that we won't be able to do these things anymore because sin will have been cast into the lake of fire? Is this just a reminder, another way to show us how great heaven is that these things aren't there? And I don't think so. That doesn't make any theological sense as to why this would be there. But you know what does make a little sense? 
I think it should be a reminder and a motivation to us of a couple of things. One, it should show us, guys, this list of sins, those who didn't endure, those who were unbelieving, those who were detestable, those who take other lives, those who are sexually immoral, those who become intoxicated, those who practice witchcraft, those who are idolaters, and those who are liars, that is an encompassing list of sin. There is not a person in this world who's not guilty of something on that list. Not a person in this world. And so what we do know is that there are those who took lives who also were listed in the roll call of faithful, right? We have Moses slay an Egyptian and hid the bones. And yet in Hebrews he's listed in the roll call of faithful. Well, that don't make no sense. He's a murderer by definition. He took a life. So he, he should be in the lake of fire with brimstone. No, he's not a murderer. He's a child of God. And so this verse is here as a reminder to us that it doesn't matter what you were, it doesn't matter who you were before, it doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter what anybody else has done. Every single human that has ever been born is worthy and just to receive the grace of Jesus. And it is our responsibility to take heed of that, to look at this text and to go, how beautiful heaven must be, the city four square, the streets of gold, the river of life all of these things that we look at and we go those are amazing and then we look and he says but these people won't be there and we should be reminded of who we were and we should go to someone and say let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus not only change your life on this earth but change your eternity that you wouldn't be caught up in verse 8 when the great white throne judgment comes because there will be people missing from heaven. And I think far too often, far too often, we get caught up in the here and now, and then we get caught up in the eternity, and we act like that's just something that's coming. That's what we should long for. And we should long for everybody to be there. And at the end of the day, when we're going on about our great commission work, How often, and I'm so guilty of this, how often have I sat across from someone and they start telling me about their burdens on this earth and their struggles on this earth and all of these things, and I start telling them about how God has met my needs on this earth. When in reality, I ought to read verse 8 of Revelation chapter 21 to them and say, let me tell you something. If you think the burdens of this earth are bad... Chapter 8's for you, but wouldn't you like to be in verses 1 through 7 with me? Wouldn't you like to be in 1 through 7 with me? Because there are people that are missing from heaven, but now I want us to look at some things that are missing from heaven. It's going to get good. It's going to get real good, I promise. Back up to verse 1 with me. We see something right off the bat missing. It could be a source of confusion if we weren't careful. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and also there was no more sea. Now for some, I know some of you are listening to that and you're going, I kind of like the beach. What do you mean there's no more sea? I know of at least one person present in the house of the Lord today who is on more than one occasion set on that terrible nasty sand 
looking out upon the sea and said, that's just like a picture of heaven. And I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to say, no, it's not. (laughs) So why is there no sea? The first earth is characterized by its need and composition of the water. Earth is currently made up of a little more than 75% water. Human flesh is made up of just over 65% water, and human blood is made up of about 90% water. We need water to survive. It is an essential element to all life on this earth. Let me say that again. Water is an essential element to all life on this earth. We have to have it. We can go longer without food than we can without water on this earth. But the new earth has a different source of life. According to chapter 22, we're going to find out that all life is sustained by a river that's called life that proceeds from the throne of God. In other words, we don't need the sea in the new earth because we have a different source of life and that source is God. This source of water source life, this source of this water birth, that John talks about it, that he, Jesus speaks about in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus about the being born of the water, being born of the flesh. This earth needs water to be sustained. But the eternal body doesn't need water because it has a source that never perishes, that never fades, that never goes bad, that never has to be purified, that never has to be cleaned up, that is not a renewable resource, not a non-renewable resource. It is new every single morning and new every day. And our source of life proceeds from the throne of God that never fades. So yeah, the sea is missing, but it's because we don't need it. We don't need it anymore. We don't got to have it. We don't depend on it for life. For those of you who love the beach so much, perhaps in heaven beside the river called life, there will be a pile of sand. (coughs) It will be a special sand that doesn't stick to every inch of my body. Or... It will be a chunk of heaven that I avoid, just like I do the beach on this earth. I don't know, one or the other. (laughs) So we don't have a sea. Look what else is missing with me, verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now there's some debate as to what is being said there. I want to be clear. This does not teach us that Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when we cease to exist on this earth and we go to be present with the Lord or if you happen to live until the rapture and you be called up into the sky in that moment in the twinkling of an eye and you receive your new body and all of those things happen, it doesn't mean that you start crying and you don't stop until after the white throne judgment and after tribulation is over. You're not sitting up there in heaven just weeping uncontrollably for no apparent reason. There are also those who would say, well, this is following the great white throne judgment. So what it's saying is that we're, we're deeply saddened by our lives when we stand before God at the great white throne judgment and we see all of our sins and we become so overwhelmed that we begin to cry. <coughs> well, there's some problems with that theologically and I want to clue you into what they are. Number one, we ain't at the great white throne judgment. 
The great white throne judgment is not meant for believers. It's reserved for those whose name is not in the book of life. We will have already bypassed it because we will have already been present with God. We would have marched into battle with him for Armageddon. We would have reigned with him for a thousand years in the millennial reign. We've already been found to be worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to stand at the great white throne judgment, praise God, because if you had to stand at it in any course and your sins were laid before you, then you would be found guilty and cast into the lake of fire where your tears wouldn't be wiped away, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Second, according to Scripture, theologically speaking, once Jesus' blood has been applied to our sins, there is therefore now no condemnation. Because my sins have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. And so my sins are not to be brought up again in any place, in any time, in any form. My sins have been forgiven not to be brought up again. I don't have to see them at any judgment because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. And so I'm not up there needing my tears wiped away because I've looked at my sin because my sin is gone. Literally, this verse speaks to the fact that the ability to have tears has been wiped away from the heavenly body. It's gone. There, you don't even have the ability to have tears. Why? Because everything that you would cry about is gone. No more sadness. No more depression. No more disappointment. No more death of a loved one. Why? Well, because there's no more death. The wages of sin and death, but as we come to this final heaven, there is no sin and there is no death. In fact, there is no death because death was cast into the lake of fire back in chapter 20. It doesn't exist anymore. There is no death. So there's nothing, you can't cry about the death of a loved one because no loved one dies because nobody dies. Death is gone. It is a penalty for this earth. It's not a part of the new earth. No more sorrows. Got nothing to be sad about because the effects of sin are gone. No more crying. We don't even have the ability. The tears have been wiped away. But if we wanted to, we wouldn't have a reason. No more pain. Say that one again. No more pain. I don't know about you guys. This one speaks to me. For some of you younger than me, you don't appreciate this enough. For some of you older than me, you don't think I appreciate it enough. But what I do know is it now takes me 10 minutes to get out of my bed because if I don't stretch for those 10 minutes, my back, my hips, and my feet hurt so bad I can't get through the day. I used to run to the bathroom and... Throw my clothes on and be out the door with a cup of coffee in one hand, a lunchbox in the other, in about seven minutes after I woke up. If I run to the bathroom in seven minutes now, I won't get my clothes on. <laughs> I warm up for 25 minutes to throw ball with my son for six minutes. Because if I don't, my arm feels like it's going to fall off the next day. So the idea that my eternal body lives in a place where there is no pain, it's pretty exciting for me. And I know there's some of you that endure pain far worse than what I just mentioned. 
well, it ought to be pretty exciting for you too. And I know there's some of you that can still get up and run and put your clothes on. Your day's coming. <laughs> Why are all these things missing? No sorrow, no tears, no crying, no pain, no death. Why are all these things missing? Well, because they are part of the former things. And God says they all passed away. They were part of this earth that we're living on now. They got no place in the new earth. Because there is no sin in the new earth. Therefore, there is no need for the wage of sin, which is death. There is no separation from God. So we've seen that the people are, are missing. And we've seen that there are some things missing. But these last few minutes we have together, let's look at the best part. Because there's a presence of God in heaven. John gets to looking at all this beauty and, and all this peace and everything that's going on. In verse 5, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new right, for these words are faithful and true. See, John was so overwhelmed with what he was seeing that he had to be reminded, Hey, you're here to write this down, man. You're here to communicate this to the believers until the day that I come back. They'll study this and know what is coming. And I believe that what overwhelmed John so much is a glimpse into the time when we're present with God. Verse 3 says this, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. That word for tabernacle is literally the word for tent or dwelling place. It says that literally God will come down and he will reside among us. Reside among, let me say that again. He will reside among us. We shall be his people, he shall be our God. We will commune with God in a way that we only dream of. That we can only think about in today's setting. That we can only look forward to and imagine and, and wonder and have awe in our minds about what it would be like to really be completely in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they would look upon his presence through a burning bush or a pillar of fire or a cloud. Because we in this body and in this place cannot look upon the fullness, the Shekinah, full glory of God. Here we see that there we, we don't only look upon him and see him, but we literally live and dwell among him. That word for among, by the way, in case you're wondering, best way I know to describe it. Have you ever seen a group of toddlers when nanny walks in church? <laughs> and they go get among her? crawl around her and they grab at her purse for candy and they grab at her leg and they pull on her shirt. That's what that word means, among. We're going to be all over it. We're going to be all over it. He will be among us and we will be among him. What's that look like? Well, we'll be worshiping him. In fact, Verse 22 says, we don't need a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. We will literally be among the source and the object of our worship. 
We'll literally be among the source and the object of our worship. We won't have to sing a song, how beautiful heaven must be, because we'll be there. We might be singing a song like, how beautiful heaven is be. Sorry to my teacher friends. You tried. In the Old Testament, they built temples and they believed that they were houses of God because it's where they had to give their sacrifices in order to be with God. They would go at certain times of the year and they would do these things to try and be with God. And then because of Jesus, we understand that the veil of the temple was split open and we don't have to go to a temple to be present with him. But for the first time in heaven, we literally are in his presence physically as well as spiritually. We'll see him for who he is. So spectacular, so amazing. And John said he is the source of light for everyone. His glory shines in such a way that we don't need a sun or a moon because he is the illumination. He is the light. Revelation 22 teaches us also that we will serve him in heaven. Let me say that again. We will serve him in heaven. Why do we serve him now? In preparation for serving him in eternity. We'll be joint heirs with Jesus in this new city. Adopted sons and daughters of the king of kings. Why? Because I am who you say I am, Jesus. What do we do with this? Well... First and foremost, I believe it's imperative that we spend time focusing on the truth that this life is not what we are living for. I told Miss Catherine this morning, I don't know how many sermons I've preached in my life, but I can tell you that sadly enough, I've talked about heaven. I've alluded to heaven. I've preached there was a heaven. But I've never sat out and preached a text directly associated with heaven. And I can't tell you why. But I think for most believers, we fall into that category where we spend so much time focusing on what does God mean to us in the here and now. What does he do for me now? What does he mean for me now? What does he provide for me now? What do I do in service to him now? How do I do this for him now? That sometimes we stop and we forget that heaven is very real. I've preached several sermons on hell. Why in the world would we focus on that and go hell is real and not turn around and focus the same way and go I am thankful for a place called heaven. Because at the end of this life, if God never does anything else for me on this earth, if I spend the rest of my life and I feel like I'm void from the hand of God or the blessing of God, which will never happen, but if I did, he would have already done more for me than I deserve by providing me a heavenly inheritance. Jesus was enough. Forgiveness was plenty. Everything else is your cake and eating it too. This home is not our eternal home, but a place where we live our lives to display the glory of God as we share his gospel in this world.
Let us become excited for the truths of this book. Let us become excited for the truths of Revelation that we don't stand before God and give an account for our lives. And that's foreign to us as people because at the end of the day, I teach my children this all the time. I say, trust me, your lie will find you. Right? We have this moniker in this life that you kind of get what you deserve eventually, right? You do bad things, eventually they come to the forefront and you're going to get caught eventually or you're going to have to live with the guilt of having done them at the very least. So I don't know about you guys, but after a lifetime of paying in an earthly manner for the things I've done wrong, to know that I deserve to stand before God in a great white throne judgment and give an account for every one of them, but I don't have to, is pretty exciting. I don't have to give an account for all those failures. Because Jesus already gave my account on Calvary's hill. Let's focus on that. Let's focus that we don't stand in the great white throne judgment. Let's focus that we live in a city four square. Live in a city where the river named life proceeds from the throne of God. and never perishes. It never fades. It never diminishes. That we're there at the source and the object of our worship. He is uh, among us and we are among him and we serve him for eternity. And let's recognize the staunch opposite. That for those who are cast into the lake of fire, they have an eternity of weeping. We have no more tears. They have an eternity of the gnashing of teeth. We have no more pain. They have an eternity of suffering as the flesh burns but never burns up. And we have no more sorrow. I think it's okay to look at glory and say, I am so thankful for a heavenly eternity. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, for your mercy, that while I was a sinner, Jesus, you died for me. And that because you died for me, if I make you Lord of my life, my eternity is in a place called heaven. That it's a very real place. That it's beyond my concept of imagination because everything that I've seen in this earth is subject to sin. But everything in that earth doesn't have the effect of sin. Father, that there's a place where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. For all of those things are marked by this. But they have no presence there. God, if there be someone here who sits on the fence, Father, let us remember that we are thankful for a heavenly eternity but we recognize that there is another eternity. One where instead of the tears being wiped away, the tears are there forever. One where instead of the pain being wiped away, the pain is eternal. And one where the desperate sorrow never fades. So God, help us to tell someone about my Jesus.
And God, we'll give you the glory and the honor forever. For it's in your precious saving name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand.
been a good day in the house of the Lord. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.